they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. It is Friday, Mary, and we just finished with Father Charles Murr uh, talking about the Gideon story from the Bible, so I thought that would be <laughs> appropriate for the Bible with the Barbers, too. That <laughs> we And uh, I just love that story when Fulton Sheen tells it. Uh, it goes down to like 300 soldiers, and I think about the world biblical view that you're going to be giving on St. Joseph at the conference, True Devotion to St. Joseph, that's coming up on the 18th of September. Folks, you need to register by just calling the 877-526-2151 number. Uh, my wife will be giving that talk. Father Charles Murr, who you just heard on Virgin Most Powerful, will be coming down. Father Stephen Lewinsky from Chicago is flying in. It's going to be a great conference, but I want to encourage you, we do have room at the chapel. You can come and see it yourself by just calling 877-526-2151. So talk about a biblical worldview, Mary. Very good, very good. So welcome here. This is Saturday, September the 10th. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to look at the gospel of today. Uh, today's gospel, we want to ask the angels to join us here and give us light. Mm. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Pleni sun celia terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui veni, nomine domini, hosanna in excelsis. We also ask for the Holy Spirit to come and inspire us. Um, Holy Spirit, give us the light of your truth so that we may hear the words that you speak and put them into practice. Amen. So we're, we're looking at the gospel for Friday of the 23rd week in ordinary time, which mm-hmm. happens to fall on September 10th this year. And um, it's the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6, verses 39 through 42. And it, um, the Gospel today says, Jesus told his disciples a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into the pit? No disciple is superior to his teacher. But when fully trained, every disciple will be like his teacher. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye? but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the splinter in your eye, when you do not even notice the wooden beam in your own eye? You hypocrite, remove the wooden beam from your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the splinter in your brother's eye. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting because this follows yesterday the the gospel um, ended with verses 37 and 38, which was judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together. Running over will be put into your lap for the measure you give will be measured back to you. And now he's now he follows up with a parable. What happens is we tend to... um, 
look at our own lives and and say, you know, we're kind of like, we can be like the Pharisee who went to the, to, remember the story of the Pharisee and the sure. publican? And they both go to the temple to pray and the Pharisee's standing up there and he's telling the Lord, Lord, look at how good I am. All this good stuff I do for you. I fast, I give tithes, I do this, I do that. I'm so wonderful, I'm so awesome, aren't I, Lord? And the guy in the back, you know, the publican is just saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful yeah. to me, a sinner. And Jesus tells us it's the publican who goes home justified. The Pharisee does not. The Pharisee isn't praising God. The Pharisee is exalting himself in God's eyes. And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> who made who? Right. You know, did, did I make God or did God make me? Um, is everything that I have a gift from God or am I giving myself as a gift to God? Which, which, by the way, yes, we can give ourselves as a gift to God. God desires that. He will not act in our life against our will. No. If we refuse him, if we say no to him, He'll respect that. That's right. God wants us to give ourselves back to him. He gave us life as a gift, and he wants us to return that gift to him. You know? And so, um, but the deal is here, so, so Jesus, you know, we don't, we, we can't be looking at the lives of others and saying, oh, oh, well, at least I'm not doing that, or at least I'm not doing that, or, oh, I'm so much better than that person, or, oh, I would never do that. <laughs> By the way, be very careful about, oh, I would never Never say never. Yeah, never say never. It, you know, it, it's it's funny. We don't we don't recognize or realize the depth of evil to which we are capable of sinking. That's one of the things that Dr. Conrad Bars in his book Doctor of the Heart, which is his autobiography, um, he spent the last eighteen months of World War II in Buchenwald prison camp. Mm. He had been working with the French Resistance, trying to get you know people out of France to, right. to save them from the Germans. And um, he was going to get caught, so they were trying to escape, and they got caught anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, he said, you know, uh, until you're in those circumstances, you don't really know how you're going to act. No matter how good a person you are, when you get into these dire straits where everybody is starving, and, and um, you find yourself willing to betray your friends, your family members, yourself, your right. own soul for a meal. And and he said, you don't realize the depth of evil that's rooted in the human person. Because we are sinner, because Adam and Eve sinned and we have original sin, we're no longer oriented toward God. We're oriented away from God and all the faculties of our body cry out for their own favorite food, independent of the good of the whole. The best thing for our whole body is that we take care of our soul first and we return to God and give ourselves to God. And but it's so much easier, you know. Somebody, somebody asked me a question about, um, well, why should I be Catholic if if anybody can go to ch- to heaven, even if they're not Catholic? Well, um, number one, if you were given the gift of being Catholic from the beginning, then you have the fullness of the faith that Jesus Christ revealed, and you have all the graces that He wanted to give. And number two, if you're baptized Catholic, that's a gift from God. So to walk away from it is to reject the gift. To know that the Catholic Church is the true church and has the fullness of the faith, if you actually know that and believe it, right. and you walk away from it, oh, you oh. are seriously jeopardizing your salvation. That's right. Vatican Council II didn't teach that everybody's going to heaven. It taught that if a person, through no fault of their own, has not heard the gospel or has not been able to receive the gospel mm-hmm. because of some mental or emotional impediment, then and it's not through their own fault, 
then that person has the possibility of being saved. But they will be saved through the mediation and merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his church. So we, the members of the church, need to be, strive all the more to live in union with God. We could be the blind leading the blind. You know, we're all going right. to fall into a pit. If we close our eyes to God and to his word, we'll be the blind leading the blind. Right. And we will be all falling into the pit. But we shouldn't be judging people and condemning them. But we pray for their conversion. And by the way, yes, we pray for our enemies. That's one of the things that, you know, we, we talked about this week. You know, we have to pray for the conversion of people like George Soros and Bill Pre- Gates and Donald, um, Donald President Trump and President Biden, Biden and, Pelosi. and Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom. Amen. We want them all to be in heaven. We want God to convert them all. Amen. And uh, it's a continued thing. It's not just a once in a lifetime. Oh, I believe that's it. I'm done. No, it's a continued process. So we don't want to be, um, you know, be blind to the word of God and what it says. And it does say we have to give up our sins if we want to follow Christ. But at the same time, and a disciple is not above his teacher. Okay, so we're not above Jesus, but we will be like him. That doesn't mean we're going to be his equal. All right. But we will be like him. The fa- be perfect as my father is perfect. We're supposed to imitate God in his holiness. So we're supposed to imitate Jesus Christ in his holiness. Right. And we will become like him. In terms of he gives us his grace and he lives within us by grace. He gives us a, a life and grace through which he lives in us. As somebody once pointed out right now, you know what? You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. And, and but you know what? Um, we live in a free country because men shed their blood for the freedom of this That's country. Right. But remember something. Um, you may be a sinner, but we can be saved from sin by grace. But remember that that grace came at a price, too. Not my blood, the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. We have been bought and paid for and at a price. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. And so, but he, Jesus buys and pays for us so that we will give up our sins and live in his grace. Yep. And, and so when we see, you know, uh, uh, we see the faults of others and it's easier to try and correct the faults of others than it is to, to look. Father mentioned this in his sermon this morning. One of the things we don't like to do is to look inside and truly examine ourselves mm-hmm. before God. Right. How am I in relation to God? Am I, is the world revolving around me? Is it about me and my own will and what I want? Or I'm so suffering so much that everybody has to serve me and nobody can serve anybody else. And, um, or am I, Lord, everything is for you and I want to do everything for you. And so I'm going to serve my neighbor to the best of my ability and I'll take care of my, the needs of my own. But, but most of all, I'm going to look at my soul and say, Lord, how have I offended you? Like the publican, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't need to put other people down. I don't need to look at other people and say, oh, look what you're doing. You should stop that. Mm-hmm. You know, no, granted, there is fraternal correction. If, right. if your brother is doing wrong, you're supposed to correct him. But in fraternal correction, there's supposed to be absolute charity. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this because what you're doing is hurting you. And, it may, and you may end up losing your soul if you continue in this way. So give up that way. Turn to Christ. Turn back to Christ. And live in his presence and live according to what he, you know, he has demanded of us. And so we remove the faults from our own soul. And when we're, by the way, when we take time to examine our own conscience and really go to confession and confess our own sins, which by the way, if you go to confession and start confessing somebody else's sins, the priest 
will stop you immediately and say, wait a minute, I can't absolve that person. They're not here. Let them confess their own sins. What did you want to confess? (laughs) So we'll be right back. And this ties in with the whole theme of today, transformation in Christ. Don't go away. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And thank you for your support. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday Friday afternoon now. Mm, <laughs> so, so we want to talk about transformation in Christ. And what is this all about? You know, we have, um, as Christians, do we really understand what we're called to? Do we, do we recognize, do we stop and do we ponder this reality? In Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed mm-hmm. by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is talking about, and, and, and he says in the, in the verse, in verse one, he said, I appeal to you, bef- therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this transformation isn't just a spiritual transformation wherein um, somehow I have a body and it doesn't matter what I do with my body, but I have a soul and I just, well, I just cling to God in my soul, but I can commit all the sins I want. No, we are supposed to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. God, who is our spiritual worship. So we worship God in spirit and in truth. And that means in body and in soul. We're not just worshiping him with our soul. We're supposed to have our minds renewed and transformed. And this is done how? Well, it's done, you know, it's, this isn't an idolatry. It's not paganism. It's not a, a thing where we burn incense to the gods and then lead a life of whatever we want. Remember the pagan god, the pagan gods, the the false gods that the pagans worshipped. If you look at the Romans, especially in the Greeks, um, the stories of their gods, their gods were very immoral. <laughs> they, there was no morality among the gods. You know, there was jealousy, there was hatred, there was envy, there was adultery, there was all of this, you know, intrigue and and just cutting down and undermining and fighting against going on among the gods. And these were the gods. Well, Socrates had some words to say to the, the ancient Greeks about that. You see, Socrates went around asking questions. Socrates wasn't a, a Jew or a Christian. He was a pagan Greek. What was the year? 350 yeah. BC? That's right. About 350 mm-hmm. BC. Mm-hmm. And he, he came through the use of his human reason. He came to realize this idea that th- that there are gods that do these horrible, immoral things, something's not quite right about this. And so Socrates reasoned that, no, God, in order to be God, he has to be the origin of all that is good and true and beautiful. You know, if you, if you have creation, you had to have an unmoved creator. If you have motion, you had to have an unmoved mover. If you have beauty, you had to have a source of beauty. And so Socrates reasoned this through the use of his reason, and he came to recognize and realize that, and this is without grace, this is, this is through the use of his human reason, 
God is God and we are not. And he's transcendent. He's above us and he's our creator and he gives everything that is good. And in order for us to know him, to truly know him, we have to live a disciplined, virtuous life. Now, this is just a pagan with the light of human reason. A dis- and this, he was teaching this throughout Greece. And the way he taught was by asking questions. He didn't go out and say, well, you know, you, you young people, and you need to give up all this immoral behavior and this debauchery, and you need to live a disciplined moral life. He would say, he would ask them questions. Well, where does all this, you know, this, okay, so you like to indulge in drinking. Where does that lead to? You like to indulge in sexual immorality, um, sexual license, the sexual license, let's call it. It's not you know, it's defined as immorality. I don't know if they did. Um, where does that lead to? You know, what is it? And he would lead his young people. He would lead the people he was trying to teach through questions. Well, um, certain people in, in the city he lived in uh, got upset with him because they said, well, you're undermining all our Greek gods because you're saying the gods are, are not gods at all. They're just inventions of human beings. And so eventually they, they sentenced him to death. And at his trial, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember this, you know, word for word, and it wasn't, it wasn't from, you know, Plato has the la- wrote an account of the last days of Socrates, and so did Xenophon. For me personally, reading Xenophon was clearer and easier to understand. And essentially paraphrasing it, what Socrates says to the, the, the Greeks of his time is, you call me immoral because I say God is God, and he is transcendent, and in order to know him, we have to live a disciplined moral life, all right? Whereas you want to live a life of debauchery and immorality, so you invent gods who are far more immoral than you in order to justify your immoral living. And this is, this is a pagan Greek, and he came to this knowledge through the light of his human reason. That God exists is not an article of faith. So what does that have to do with today? Well, the reality is, is that we human beings all have a tendency to do exactly what the pagan Greeks did. And even if we know God as Christians through faith, we still want to recreate him in our image and we still want to downplay a little bit. We want to say, well, you know, God knows we're all sinners. It's okay by him. It doesn't matter to him. Well, Socrates would beg to differ you. As a matter of fact, he would tell you, well, actually, if you're going to live an immoral life, you can't know God. In order to know God, you have to live a disciplined moral life. So the transformation here is that We find in ourselves, and Paul talks about this in his letters, this war within ourselves where I want to do good and I don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do evil. I want to avoid it. But I find myself falling into evil and committing these evils. Who's going to save me from this? And then he says, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to save me. How? By just covering me over with his grace and saying, it's okay that you're a sinner. Go on sinning. I'll just cover you with my grace. Mm -hmm. No, by transforming us through the renewal of our mind, by renewing us and giving us the power to say no to sin. To say no to sin. No, I will not do that evil. By the grace of God, I won't do that evil. And by the grace of God, I will do the good that he inspires me to do. And it is God who inspires good in us. But our minds have to be transformed. God wants to transform us into living images of himself. Jesus Christ, really be, Jesus Christ is really a man who is the second person of the Blessed Trinity incarnate. The second person of the Blessed Trinity really became man and lived among us. He really did. And the words in the gospel are really his words. They're what he taught. And when he cured people, did he transform people? Yeah, remember the woman caught in adultery? 
And he comes and, and he says, well, the one among the crowd who has no sin could th- cast the first stone. And so they all leave. <laughs> Fortunately, none of them was living in the modern delusion that we're all immaculately conceived and we don't have any sin. They all recognize that they were sinners. Thanks be to God. And so they all leave. And Jesus looks at her and says, is no one condemned you, woman? And she says, no. And he says, well, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. You know, when he cured the paralytic in the temple and he tells him to pick up his mat and walk and, and the, the, later on the man's walking through the temple with his mat and the Jews are saying to him, you can't do that. This is the Sabbath. That's a violation. He said, well, the man who cured me told me to pick it up and walk. Yep. Well, who cured you? I don't know. He didn't <laughs> even know who Jesus was. Right. And so then later on, he see, Jesus sees him in the temple and he says, see to it that you sin no more. Right. Jesus calls us to a life that is new that is renewed in him, a life that is without sin. It's interesting that, you know, when, when um, Lazarus dies, remember in the Gospel of John? Sure. And Jesus re- received the word that Lazarus was sick, but he doesn't go to see him. And then um, Jesus says to his apostles a few days later, Lazarus has fallen asleep, I must go and wake him. And the apostles are like, well, if he's sleeping, then he's going to get better. He's all, and they thought they meant that he meant he was slumbering. no. And so Jesus has to say, no, Lazarus is dead. But you see, Jesus doesn't say Lazarus is dead. He says he's sleeping. Why? Because Lazarus was a friend of Jesus and he wasn't living in mortal sin. To Jesus, death is mortal sin. When we sin, even if we're walking around in a live body, our souls are dead. Well, they still animate our body, yes, but they have no grace of God in them. Mortal sin kills the life of God in our soul. Yeah, Mary, let me just jump in. What you're saying about the Bible is really that you believe that what is written in the Bible is actually what took place. And I just want to alert to people, they hear this and they go, wow, that's not what I've been hearing for the last you know, couple of decades in my churches because some of the priests haven't communicated what the church has taught. I mean, just being honest, they've lost the sense of the inerrancy of Scripture. They've lost the sense of the supernatural aspect that what Jesus said and did, which is what the Vatican II Council talks about, Scripture. So what you're telling them here is really not your opinion. Not has nothing to do with your personal opinion. You're giving what Holy Mother has said about the Bible, that this is really the inspired Word of God, Then it has no error and that when you talk, talk about these stories in the Bible, that they're real stories. They're not just make-believe. Like some people will tell you, or for example, the, the uh, multiplication of loaves, that somehow it was the generosity <laughs> of the people. That's baloney. No. Uh, excuse the expression. Yeah. You know, uh, th- but, but what I want to c- convey to the people is what you're getting is not Mary Danielle's personal opinion. You're getting what Holy Mother the Church has taught and I just wanted to, you know, mention that. Okay. Right. And this is, this, that's it. The, the, the scripture is really the word of God. Receive this word as it truly is the word of God, not as the word of man. And so we're looking for a transformation in Christ. And that transformation, by the way, comes from reading the scriptures. When we read the scriptures, we're encountering God's word and his word has the power to change us. You know, the, uh, allow this word to penetrate Amen. you, which has the power to change you. And there are other passages, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that talk about this transformation in Christ. A lot of it is in Paul's letters, but there's you know other places in, in the Scriptures where it talks about it. And we have in Romans um, chapter 8, 
Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. If the spirit of God really dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the spirit who dwells in you. So by the spirit dwelling in us, Sin causes death. By the way, sin causes division. All right? The division that is caused between men is, is from sin. And, 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 from, and fear is not a good governor. No. And when we, when we live in fear, we are not living in the freedom of the children of God. So we are called to be transformed into a living image of Christ by the power of God's spirit within us that God will fill us with his grace and give us the ability to overcome the tendencies of our flesh. You see, our body by nature, our body has a lot of faculties. We need to sleep, we need to eat, we need to see, we need to hear, we need to smell, we need to reproduce. We have a, a respiratory system, we have a circulatory system, we have an endocrine system, we have all these systems and, all, and, and, and we have 11 emotions, which are part of the body, love, hate joy, sorrow, desire, aversion, audacity, fear, hope, despair, and anger. And all of these faculties of the body have their own favorite food. Mary, the Bible says 365 times a year, trust is what is needed, not fear. Right. Fear well, is useless. What is needed? Fear is useless. Yep. We come Once back. Once for every day of the year. Yep. That's a good thing to have. That's a good formula for having a positive life. All right. We'll be back with more on the Bible with the Barbers. And if you want to sign up for that conference coming up on the 18th, Call us or go to vmpr.org. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Um, and again, I want to thank all of our listeners and all of our benefactors, stations of the Cross Radio and all the little stations that pick us up. And to all of those who have the app or are listening on the computer, thank you for listening and on Rumble. And um, like us, share this video, um, promote it. Let your friends know that there's a Bible study available to them. And we're talking today about transformation in Christ. And we were looking at um, Romans 12, we started, and now we have Romans 8. And we're, looking, we're going to look at something in Romans 6 also. Um, in Romans 6, St. Paul is um, talking about dying and rising with Christ. And he says, what shall, we, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because Paul had said in the previous chapter, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? No! <laughs> How can we who died to sin still live in it? We died to sin. We're not supposed to live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're supposed to be walking in newness of life. And so further on in Romans 8, he goes on to say, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
I was talking just before the break about the body. And our body has all these faculties. And every faculty of our body has its own favorite food. So we have this disintegration. We're not an integrated whole being by nature. We have all these different faculties and desires. So what, what brings this integration? Well, God gave us an intellect. And the intellect and the will are the two faculties of the soul. Okay, the intellect and the will are the faculties of the soul. And the intellect informs us about what the true good is. And then the will chooses it. Well, here's the deal. The true good for us is God and union with God. So we have to use our intellects to say no to our body. So when I'm eating a hot fudge sundae and my taste buds are saying, another one, get another one, get a bigger one. And my my intellect says, no, you've had your dessert. That was it. Leave it go. No more. You know, you've had your, your one dessert, your one scoop of ice cream or your one small hot fudge sundae, not, not, not Farrell's ice cream parlor. I made a pig of myself. We're not pigs. We have to direct and guide all the faculties of our body into a unity. And we do that by God's grace because you see, integration was a gift above and beyond our nature that Adam and Eve had that they lost with original sin. All the faculties of their body were perfectly and easily subjected to their intellect because their intellect clearly saw God as the true good and their will was easy to choose because the intellect saw clearly. Without that grace, that gift of integration that we lost when Adam and Eve sinned, it was a gift. It didn't belong to us by nature. We lost it. And so now we can be confused about what the true good is. So we have to use our intellect and we have to work continuously against the inordinate desires of our body. When we want to sleep too much, we have to get up and say, no, I've had my sleep. I need to get up. When we want to eat too much, we have to say, no, I pushed myself away from the table. I'm done. When we want to drink things that aren't going to be healthy for us, you know, or drink too much. I mean, one, one alcoholic beverage once or twice a week, that's fine. And remember what I said, one, once or twice a week, you know. That's fine, but not every single day and not to excess. And we have to be able to say no. And even to our emotions, our emotions oftentimes will lead us in the direction of indulging our bodies, our flesh in um, an inordinate indulgence, drinking too much, eating too many sweets, eating too much food. And, and it's the, but it's the emotions that are crying out for, for satisfaction, but they're not going to be satisfied. The interesting thing about the desires of the body is the more that you indulge them, the less satisfied they are with the indulgence. So the more you need to give them in order to, to satisfy them. And it's, it's, a, it's the law of diminishing returns. Father John Borgerding used to tell the seminarians at St. John's Seminary when he was t- teaching pastoral theology there. The law of diminishing returns. The more you indulge the flesh, the less satisfied it is and the more it needs. Addicts know this. Anyone who's become addicted to something, whether it be sugar or drugs or alcohol or sex, you know that. The more you indulge, the less satisfied you are and the more indulgence the body wants, but the more you indulge it, the less satisfied it is. So we, we say no to our flesh in order to say yes to God, to receive his grace. Not because created things are evil, but because God is good. And everything that he made is good, but God is the true good that we were made to choose. So we want to live in this transformation that Christ has won for us, this renewal of our mind where we recognize that God is the true good. And all of these created things, yes, they're good, but they're not the true good. 
So we only use them insofar as we need them to support our life here on earth and make it possible for us to do our duty. And if they're interfering with us choosing God or interfering with us doing our duty for love of God, then we need to reject them. And why is that? Because for we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The spirit of slavery is that spirit of fear where we're afraid of God because he's going to beat us up or we're afraid of the devil because he might kill us. Well, the reality is the devil has no power over life and death. Only God has power over life and death. All right. But we're not slaves. We're children of God. And we don't have to be afraid. We need to live in freedom. And the fear of God that the Bible talks about, you know, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's not fear of God. He's going to beat me up. He's going to get me. He's just waiting for me to make a mistake. And he's going to, no. That fear of God is awe and reverence in his sight, the desire to please him because he is our good father who loves us and gives us all good things. This is the transformation, the renewal of our minds that transforms us from within. We're not slaves to sin anymore unless we choose it. If we say no to sin, if we resist the devil, he will take flight. He's a coward. Resist the devil. He will take flight. Resist sin. It will take flight. And it's not a once in a lifetime, done, done deal. Okay, I said no to sin today. I'm done. I never have to do it again. No, we have to do it every day. It's an arduous task because of concupiscence. You know, when, we, when we're baptized, original sin is washed away, but the effects of original sin aren't. We lost integration. We lost that gift. We don't have it. We can pray for it. We can ask God to give it back to us, to restore us. But by grace, he does restore us in some sense that we do have the power to say no to sin. And we do become God's very dear children. We have received the spirit of sonship, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. It is the spirit himself bearing witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So this transformation, we give up sin, We turn away from sin and turn back to God to live a life free of sin. God doesn't like sin. He didn't make sin. He didn't make evil. Sin degrades us and it kills the life of our soul. It also kills our body, by the way. You know, what does addiction do to us? What what do sins of the flesh do? There are consequences. God wants us to live in freedom as his children with joy, with the joy of the Lord, knowing that we are loved by him and that he is truly our father and he desires us to live in this freedom. And we have St. Peter also telling us something about this. The Christians call an election. What does the second letter of St. Peter say? It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to be his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise that through through these you may escape from corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. 
What did Socrates say? If you want to know God, and this was just a pagan, working with the light of his natural human reason, you need to live a disciplined, virtuous life, and you will come to know God. Now that's, with the gift of faith, we go further. We become partakers of the divine nature through the gift of faith. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. This is the Bible. This isn't the Catholic Church. This, isn't, this is the scriptures. Supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with steadfastness and your steadfastness with godliness and your godliness with brotherly affection and your brotherly affection with love. Peter's telling us that we have to live in the freedom that was won for us by Jesus Christ, that we put to death the desires of the flesh. You know, it's not evil that I desire to eat. It's not evil that I desire to sleep. It's not evil that I desire to have water to drink because I'm thirsty. It's not evil that I desire to have union with my husband for the sake of the good of the spouse, for the sake of the good of each one of us and for bringing children into this world. None of those things are evil. But when out of place, when out of order, when they become an end in them themselves, you know, eating is not bad. Well, when we're eating only for the pleasure of eating, well, then there's a problem. That's debauchery because now we've taken the means, pleasure, which is the means to encourage us to eat and make it the end in itself. That's, that's what you call debauchery or degradation. We degrade ourselves. The same with sex. When we take pleasure which is the means to encourage us as married to encourage married couples to engage in the conjugal act for the procreation of children and the good of the spouses but when we take the pleasure and make it the end in itself now we have degraded it i hear the music again we're coming up against another break so we want to look some more at this transformation in christ and how we live this out thank you for joining us on bible with the barbers Um, If you want to join that conference on the 18th, call 877-526-2151. That will be an in-person live conference here at the chapel. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Thank you, Stations of the Cross Radio and um, all the little stations that pick up our signal. And also, thank you all of those who have the app on your phone or on your computer or are listening through Rumble or Facebook um, or whatever other um, social media platforms. (laughs) I'm not totally up on the social media, but um, I just want to thank everyone who's listening. I want to thank our supporters. I want to thank especially those people who pray and sacrifice for us. And I want to assure all the people who ask for our prayers, we do see those emails. We do lift you up in prayer and know that you're in our prayers. And, um, and thank you for your prayers and sacrifices. So we're talking about this transformation in Christ. And um, again, we're looking now at the second letter. We looked at some of Paul's writings. And we're looking at uh, the second letter of Peter, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And uh, P- Peter had said that we become partakers of the divine nature. And I w- just want to remind people, this doesn't mean we become little gods. We don't become gods. We will always be his creature, but we partake in his nature. We become like God. We shall see him as he is, okay? But it, it means that um, we're going to, um, 
we become his children through adoption and that we do share in his life and God does live in us through grace. So um, this is not, it's not where we, we're thinking that, um, it, it, this is a mystery and we have, you know, the, the human participation in the divine life of God, it's a mystery of grace. And by the way, you know, St. Paul describes the indwelling of the son, the second person of the blessed Trinity in Romans 8, 10 and Galatians 2, 20, and also of the spirit in Romans 8, 11 and 1 Corinthians 6, 19. So we become sons and daughters of God by sharing in the divine sonship of Christ, Romans 8, 14 through 16 and Galatians 4, 4 through 7. So the doctrine of deification or divinization is grounded in the truth that Jesus Christ assumed our humanity in order to fill it with his divinity. This is a gift from God. We didn't do anything to earn it. It comes through the sacraments and especially through the Eucharist where Jesus Christ is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in his risen, ascended, glorified state as the God-man. And he feeds us body and soul. He feeds us on his body and soul. So we have Peter telling us that we have to um, make every effort to supplant faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For in these things... For if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be more zealous to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never fall. So there will be so there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we want to strive to live the spiritual life. Not just we live our life in the body, yes, but as Christ as Paul will say in another place, um, it is I who live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. We want to become a living image of Christ so that his life will shine through us and others will come to know him through our lives. Jesus wasn't a sinner. He didn't go around sinning. So we give up sin. And it, it doesn't please God when we sin. And he doesn't just cover over our sins. Jesus takes away our sins with his blood. He washes them. And he washes us clean from within. That's what this whole, is, this whole session today is about, is about that transformation in Christ that comes. You know, and, and in the gospel, we have lots of instances where Jesus cures the sick or he raises the dead or, you know, and, and what, what is this all about? Well, you know, we have in um, the gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, the story of the Gerasenes demoniac, right? That, which, by the way, the parallel passages there, um, it's not just in the gospel of Luke. It's also in um, the Gospels of Matthew, in Matthew 5, 39 through 44, and, um, ro um, and, ro and um, oh, well, that's funny. I thought I saw this before. I'm looking at the wrong verse, and I'm looking at Luke 6, and I can't find my references. I'm sorry. 
Luke 8, 26 through 39. Okay. So in Luke 8, 26 through 39, it's Matthew 8, 28 through 34 and Mark 5, 1 through 20. So we have the Gerasene demoniac, right? And, and what was going on here? They come to this, this, um, this area of the Gerasenes and as Jesus stepped out of the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons for a long time. He had worn no clothes and he lived not in a house, but among the tombs. When Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you not to torment me for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of them, out of the man. For many times the spirit had seized him. He had kept him under guard and bound with chains. Excuse me. For, at, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus asked, what is your name? And the demon said, Legion, because there were many of them. And they begged him not to command him to depart into the abyss. Now, there was a large herd of swine there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter the swine. So Jesus gave command, and the demons went into the swine, and the herd of swine rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So then what happened to the man, right? So the herdsmen run off to the city and tell the people what happened. So they all come out, and the people from the surrounding country, they come out, and what do they see? They see the man... Whom, from whom the de demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Well, the commentary is, Jesus wants to transform us from within. This man had this problem. The demons infested him. They were inside of him. So Jesus commands the demons to go out. And what was characteristic of the man before Jesus came? He was not in his right mind. He was a lunatic. He didn't wear any clothes. He lived among the hills. He gnashed himself with stones. He hurt himself. He couldn't be restrained with chains or shackles because when the demons were in him, there was a supernatural strength there. And, and, and so he lives in isolation from society. He lives in torment with himself, not in his right mind. And he lives in nakedness and shame. And the people of the village come out after Jesus has exercised the demons and sent them away the people come out and they see the man sitting at Jesus' feet. Now he's given himself to the Lord and he's looking to the Lord for his salvation. He's been transformed from within. He has clothes on. He's in his right mind. He's not hurting himself. He no longer has to be restrained, restrained with shackles. He's not a danger to himself or anyone else. The reaction of the people is ironic. You see, what happened was Jesus let the demons go into the swine, the pigs, and the pigs went over the embankment. Jesus is an economic liability here. To them, they don't want him around. Their livelihood just went over the side of the hill. <laughs> and the man wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus tells him to go back to his city and witness to the people what God has done for him. And this is this, we want to be transformed in Christ and we are renew, the renewal of our minds and, and let Christ live in us. 
and then witness to others according to the way that God inspires us. That doesn't necessarily mean going around and preaching to people. And it certainly doesn't mean going around telling people, well, you have to believe this or you're going to go to hell. No, Mother Teresa of Calcutta went out into the streets of Calcutta and started picking up the sick and the dying, especially the dying, and the un- what was called the untouchables in India. And she would take care of them. And she was evangelizing them through her care, through her love, not by preaching to them at first. She didn't preach to them. She cared for them. She loved them. Bishop Sheen had heard about the work that she was doing. Now, Fulton J. Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen, please pray for us. He was very much interested in the evangelizations of people, of bringing everyone to Jesus Christ. He once said that if every Catholic in the United States of America would convert five people to the Catholic faith, within a year we could convert the entire nation. And, and again, we have to respect people um, and we can't force them to convert, but we need to show them Christ and invite them. And so Mother Teresa would show them Christ by loving them. And Bishop Sheen met her in an airport one day and he's like, Mother, Mother, you've personally evangelized 15,000 people. This was early on in her work in Calcutta. What did you say to them? And she looked at him and she said, I didn't say anything, but I loved them. And after I loved them and took care of them, I would say to them, do you know Jesus? And they'd look at me and say, oh, mother, is he anything like you? (laughs) And I would tell them, no, but I do try to be like him. And then they would look at me and say, oh, mother, we want to know Jesus. Remember in the early church, what was it the pagans said? See these Christians, how they love one another. And further, what was it the pagans saw? The Christians loved their enemies also. They didn't go to their death cursing their enemies. They went to their death praising God and praying for their enemies. St. Stephen, who was stoned to death. Lord Jesus, do not hold this sin against them. In imitation of Jesus Christ on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So we say these prayers for each other, for ourselves, for our family members, for all of those from whom we are estranged and from all our enemies, from all those who attack us and attack our faith. We pray for their conversion. We want to be transformed into living images of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. So we ask that Jesus wash us in his precious blood, cleanse us from our sin, free us from our attachment to the things of this world, and help us to live truly in the freedom of the children of God. Again, thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Share this with your friends. Let everyone know that there's a Bible study and they can join us here on this Bible study. You can listen to the podcast. You can share the podcast. You can let people know that it's there. You can listen on Rumble. You can listen on Facebook. You can listen on your iPhones. You can listen on your computer. Let everybody know. Thank you for Stations of the Cross Radio and other little radio stations who pick up our signal. Thank you for all our supporters, our benefactors, especially all of those of you who pray for us and offer your sacrifices for us. It means so much. We couldn't do this work without you and without God's grace. We need God's help to do the good. Join us again, please God, next week on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. 